Um, everyone else, why don't, we, uh, why don't we grab our Bibles and turn to Galatians, and uh, we've been working through Galatians over the last uh, few weeks now, and, uh, and it's, been, uh, it's been a really great journey. We're going through bit by bit, and we'll be in Galatians until June. Uh, we take a break for Advent in a few weeks' time. Um, but uh, we're going to be going to Galatians chapter 2. You can turn there. In fact, we'll read Galatians chapter 2, uh, verses 15 and 16, and then I will frame what we're going to be talking about this morning. So this is, a, this is one of those verses which need breaking apart. At the South and Willow Park, we believe in going through the Bible incrementally and section by section because it forces us to talk about things that ordinarily we might be tempted to miss. And so... Uh, that's what we seek to do as we work through the Bible, God's Word. We're going to break this down today, this morning. So this is Paul speaking to the, Galatians, the churches in Galatians. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through, Jesus in, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so there's, there's a lot going on in that passage, and so what I want to do is I'm going to take a step back for a second, frame what we're going to do, why this passage is actually an amazingly applicable, relevant, and powerful piece of scripture, and how it can help us in our, in our lives, in our parenting, in our friendships, relationships, and in our life. Um, so one of the things that we did recently, or I should say it was about a year ago, is we, we uh, went through a series called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And it was one of our most popular series that we've done as a church, most downloaded, most listened to, because we asked big uncomfortable questions around the existence of God, the relevancy of the Bible, science versus faith. And I was just in my, I was in my happy space. I, I just love that stuff. And so it was a really, really good series. And I encourage you uh, to download it and listen to it, work through it if you have some of those big questions. But one of the things that came apparent as we worked through this series is that atheism, the, the, the pop culture would say that atheism is a very um, is an increasing and growing trend. Whereas actually, in reality, studies are showing that the opposite is true. Atheism is nowhere near as popular or as increasing as pop culture would tell us. In fact, the opposite is true. We saw, and we looked at this in the fall, that more and more scientists would now align themselves with evangelical faith uh, than any other religion. And I want to go further than that and say that I believe it takes more faith to believe that there is no God than there is uh, to take faith to believe in God. And, and the reason I say that is really the world we live in. You know, biology shows us increasingly, physics as we study it more and more, shows us that there's a perfection and a balance that cannot be random. Just that alone is, it takes massive faith to believe that all this is an accident. And even scientists would agree, they're just waiting, those who would align themselves with atheism are just waiting for more uh, to be revealed, whereas actually the more study that is being shown is it's just showing more and more of the existence of a divine designer, Jesus, God. 
And so even the Bible speaks to this in Romans chapter 1. It says no one is without excuse. Everybody can see and know God just by looking at the universe. And I find this really encouraging because what it tells me as a preacher and as a pastor is I don't have to work really hard to convince some of you that there is a God. I don't have to work hard at all to convince many of you because you would align yourselves with being Jesus followers and Christians. For those of you who maybe are a little more skeptical, aren't sure about Christianity, maybe you know somebody who's not sure about Christianity, the good news is is that we don't have to work really hard to prove the existence of God. You just need to open your eyes and look around you. There was a study done in 2005 by two uh, sociologists called Soul Searching, the Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. And what they did is they surveyed in 2005 thousands of American, and really you could say Canadian as well, very similar views, very Western view, what their view of spirituality was. And the good news is it became clear very quickly that they have a very strong view that there is a God, that they're not atheists like pop culture would say, but actually they believe in God, they believe in the spirituality. And so what they did in this study is they asked questions to try and find what the commonalities were across their beliefs. And so, you've got to remember, this was 2005. <laughs> and this is actually looks more 80s, doesn't it? But anyway, but anyway, these people, these young people who were interviewed then, are now millennials. Gen X, uh, Gen Y, Gen Z. So Gen Y, Gen Z, th- this is them. This is what they believe when it comes to God and their belief in God. And they came up with a series of five overriding beliefs and the the authors called it moralistic therapeutic deism, MTD. And here, here are the general views. MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism. Just drop that into conversation this week. You'll be so smart. Oh, uh, have you heard of moralistic therapeutic deism? Oh, no. Okay. Well, get scribbling because you'll need these five or get googling later. Number one, This is what they believe, this is what millennials believe, and this is what our culture believes, I would say, when it comes to God. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Amen. I like that. It's good. Number two. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. Okay? Number three, they would say, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. So you can start seeing the more millennial uh, viewpoint coming through now. Uh, the Gen Z or um, viewpoint coming through. Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Then we blame God for not being in co- involved in the life that we've been constantly rejecting him in. You know, fair enough. And then number five, good people go to heaven when they die. That would be MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism. Everybody, moralistic, very good, MTD. All right, so so you can really sum this up by saying this. There is a God, he wants me to be good and happy. That will be enough for me to get to heaven because good people go to heaven when they die. That is not a new thought that has been around for thousands and thousands of years. But the millennials, the Gen Z, the Gen Y, this viewpoint is rife. I find it encouraging because they believe in God. Okay, let's just pause for a second. Let's say there is this strong belief of God in your life. 
and you are wrestling and maybe you could align with this thought of, well, if you're good and if you're kind and then God will uh, allow me into heaven. God's aim is for me to be happy. God's aim is for me to be good. If, if, that's where, if that kind of resonates with you, great. But you need to take it a step further and ask the question, the God that we claim exists has said and shown us certain things about his own existence and also how we can have connection with him and relationship with him. It makes no sense to say, yes, there is a God, then make up our own parameters as to how we have relationship with him. It makes absolute logical sense to say, great, there's a God, great that you believe he's in control. However, let's take it a step further and find out what he himself says about how to have relationship with him and does it align with our MTD? Does it align with what we believe is the truth? It would be, and and especially if you're younger, but this doesn't apply just to if you're young. We're all young at heart, right? Amen. I thought I'd get a good Pentecostal amen there, but apparently not. Thank you. Um, The... That if, if it takes, makes absolute logical reason to press into the truth, it would be the height of foolishness to ignore what God says about himself. It would be the height of foolishness to give a shrug to the divine. It makes logical sense. Press in, research, read, join a church, join a group, Christian friends, join biblical community, learn more about this God. Don't make assumptions based on what we think and what we've experienced. Actually dig in, which is why we go through Galatians bit by bit. What does he say about himself? What does he do? How does he want us to live? And if that makes me feel uncomfortable, good. Because I don't want to worship a God that agrees with me. Because I'm an idiot. Hearty amen from my wife. I see. I get a reaction from that. I don't. Yeah. I. I don't. A God who agrees everything to do with me is no God at all. We've had people leave the South because sometimes my preaching can be pretty, like, just down the line. But I have been also get lot, especially this week. So thank you. Uh, lots of people going. I really appreciate that we don't shy away from the tough issues. God brings tough issues. And so when we look at how God says we get into heaven, it's really, really important we ask ourselves some important questions. So framed with all that, the two verses that we're going to look at actually show us in what in the Greek is one sentence, everything that the Bible is about, everything that the gospel is about, everything that Christianity is about in these two verses, Galatians 2, 15 and 16, sum it up, one sentence, and it comes out as in full force, and it is a thing of beauty, and we're going to break it apart by showing you and highlighting some specific things. So remember, the reason we're doing this is we're saying, okay, how do we have a relationship with the divine? How do we get that closeness? How do we get to God? Okay, let's go back to the verse. Galatians 2, verse 15 to 16. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. First of all, really long Greek run-on sentence, (laughs) but there's three words. See that word there? Justified. Not justified, justified, justified. And Luke's mentioned it already this morning. Justified. 
We need to press into this word to really understand the way that we have a relationship with God. Whether it be for the first time becoming a Christian or whether you have been a Christian for half a millennia. That's a long time. For a long time. It doesn't matter. We do not move past this truth. This truth activates, generates, creates, energizes Christian life as well. And it surrounds these three words. So these words, justification or justified, are pretty meaty. And so let me, let me explain it in, in this way. And all analogies fall short when it comes to God. But, but this, is, this is a pretty good analogy. Let's just imagine. I, I, I mean, I love going to the movies. The movies is something for me that I'm in my very happy place. And movies have just got better, or in Britain we call them cinemas, have got better and better and better as the years have gone by. It used to be that you lined up all the way around outside and you'd get your little ticket, or if your friends got in first, they could sneak out, open the fire exit door, and you could come in that way. And you were worried, would you be sat right at the front, or, you know, that, that thing. And, and, but now you can go online, you can order your ticket. Weeks in advance, Star Wars is coming out. If you look really carefully, I've even given you the date, December 18th. And uh, so you can write that down. Uh, Star Wars is coming out, and I, and I love Star Wars. It's, it's a wonderful experience. I love that we, I have to use my wife to smuggle in candy. Um, it's, it's great, especially when she's got a broken arm because she puts her, she puts her coat over it and then we can put, and, you know, broken arm, do you mind? Nobody ever asks. I'm not even sure whether I should be sharing that with you because I love that we smuggle food in. I just love it. I love that the seats recline. How great is that? You know, and then, you, and, and then there's the noisy eaters that are a bit annoying, but then you realize you're, it's just the whole experience is wonderful. It's wonderful. So the reason I'm saying that is when I'm sat in the movie theater, and please hear me, this is an explanation of what justified in God means. When I'm sat in the movie theater, I am justified being there. I have a right to be there. If somebody was to come and judge my justification for being there, I could show them a ticket. And say, hey, I I got a ticket. That ticket gives me the right to be justified in this movie theater. If I didn't have a ticket, I would not be justified, and therefore I would have to leave. So, when it comes to justification, we are wired and designed by God to have a relationship with him. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. There's something in us that strains towards the divine. We want more. And that is just an echo of eternity in the divine in our hearts, Ecclesiastes 3.11. And so we have this desire to be close and have a connection and be, have a relationship with God and all the benefits that come with that. It's wonderful. But there will come a time when God, according to the scriptures, will see whether we are justified to be in his presence, justified to have that relationship, justified to be close and enjoy all the benefits. Or should we actually not be close to him because we are not justified We're not justified to be in his presence. So this forces us to ask a question. What about the ticket? What about the ticket? Because the ticket is what gives you access to the movie theater. The ticket, forgive me for putting it and framing this way, gives us access to God. And what we do is we pull out our ticket and we go, God, I'm in. Let me in. 
I am just, remember MTD, God wants me to be good, he wants me to be happy, good people go to heaven when they die. And as a, as a, as a Bible-believing Christian, I believe heaven starts now, not just in eternity, it just gets better and better. But heaven on earth, kingdom on earth starts now. And so what we do is we get our ticket out and go, God, I, I, see, you know, I've got the ticket, I should be justified to be in there. See, the scripture talks about this, this ticket, as another term that we need to look at. Righteousness. Right standing. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I didn't know you were going to quote that this morning, Luke, wherever you are. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So you've got righteousness and you've got justification. Your righteousness leads to your justification. Your, and God will judge. He, there will be a day, there will come a time, whether it be in your lifetime and then when your life ends, or whether when Jesus comes back, that God will judge you on whether you are justified to be in his presence or not. And so understanding what the ticket looks like, what our right standing looks like is really important. Righteousness literally means a validating performance record that opens doors. It's not a biblical word, righteousness. It just means that you are worthy to be allowed in. So we use resumes or, or CVs and we say, look, this is my righteousness to have this job that I'm applying for. I am worthy of this job. You should let me in. You see that? That's all righteousness means. This right standing. That I have a, a right to be there. I'm worthy of a position. I'm righteous for a position. And so the boss says, yes, you are good enough. You are worthy. You are validated. You can come in. You are justified for this job. Can you see how now righteousness and justification are connected? So if we really believe in the existence of God and that we want to have connection with him, we want to be connected with the divine, then it's very important that we are justified to do so. And the way that we get justified is by having the right righteousness, the right standing, the ticket. MTD would say, do good, be good, be nice, be happy, God's going to justify you. I'm not going to say there is no God because I'm not that crazy. I think there's a God. And if there is, this God must act like I think he must act. And he will let me in based on my own righteousness. My ticket. My good standing. That's what they believe. Paul in Galatians chapter 2 verse 15 actually says, You know what? There's a different way. A better way. Because there's a problem with your righteousness. There's a problem. There's a, there's a significant problem with your righteousness. Because when it comes to God, you need to have a perfect moral record. You need to have a moral record where your sin and the stuff in your life that we all know is there and know that we struggle with and know that we've been born into, we do. We don't like the word, but we know it's there because it shows itself in any number of ways. That sin is a broken moral record and it is going to keep you away from God. That will not make you righteous. You need a divine righteousness. You need that Ability to come into the, into the presence of God in a way that my own moral standing will never allow. 
And if you're sat here, and the most loving thing I can do as a pastor and as a human being, as a Christian, is to declare the truth and the reality of this fact. You are not good enough. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, where you've come from, how great you are. It, that does not close the gap. It doesn't deal with the moral record. It doesn't give you the appropriate ticket, righteousness, to get into the presence of God. And for us to ignore that is the height of foolishness. Because if we believe there's a God, surely we want to make sure that we are in relationship with him and serve him. Because he is King Jesus, like we've just been singing. The most loving thing we can do is to actually examine, and we're going to come later to communion, and and the scriptures in, in, in Corinthians talk about that we examine ourselves before we come to the table. We examine ourselves because part of that examination, we have to go, what is it I'm relying on? What righteousness am I relying on in order for me to be justified by God? And as a Christian, we need to keep pulling back to the righteousness of Jesus, I'm going to show you. If you are not sure that you're a Christian or not, if you're not sure where you are standing, your right standing, I plead with you, I beg with you, do not take the risk. Do not take the chance that hopefully your good stuff in your life will get you in. Because the same God that declares his righteousness and his love and his joy and his forgiveness also says there is only one way one way and it's not through your goodness so what we've got in Galatians 2 is we've got Paul breaking apart different tickets different worldviews different ideas that we as people and the Jews at that time were using saying this is going to give me access to God God now and God in the future okay so the first ticket is this I'm good enough I'm good enough you know, let's, uh, and again, I just want to point out the details. Galatians 2, verse 15 to 16, date to be confirmed, although somebody pointed out you don't say that in Canada. You say to be determined, is that right? So anyway, I enjoyed designing this. It was my happy moment this week. Um, so here's the first one. I'm good enough. What does Paul say? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I can go through these pretty quickly. We are ourselves Jews by birth. He was talking to a group of people who had a heritage that said, we are the people of God. That is enough. God, I will have a relationship with God because I have a heritage called Judaism. They were basing their access, connection with God, relationship with God, based on their own family, their own history, their own story. And Paul comes along and says, actually, that's not enough. It's not enough. See, who they were just wasn't enough. They just wasn't enough. See, how does this apply to us? Really simply, and this is very convicting, especially as a parent. Your heritage is not enough. You could have been born into a Christian family. Your mum and dad could have been pastors or missionaries. You could have been brought up in a church. You could have been on the worship team. You could have done all this different stuff. And that is still not going to be enough to get you into heaven. And I don't like saying in those frame of mind, the, the future thing, the heaven life now. You can't have access to that. You will not saved. You are not in relationship with God 
And for the young people in the room, this is so important, especially with our entrenched subculture that we have called Christianity. And I love Christian education. That's wonderful. And church and youth and children, all that. But the downside of that is it breeds this idea that I'm a Christian because my mom and dad are Christian and I went to a Christian school. It's not enough. It's not enough. You can send your kids to Kelowna Christian School, Heritage, the Lutheran Church, whatever you want to do. You can do that. You can send them to preschool, send them to, and it's great. They'll get their Bible at the end in their graduation, and that is not enough. It does not guarantee anything at all, apart from one wonderful thing. And this is where it's encouraging parents. God is in control of salvation. All we are called to do is develop an environment that we pray the Holy Spirit will ignite and, and, and see them saved. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to try and teach them to thrive as parents. It's not our responsibility to make them become Christians. Because you can't. It's not enough. There will come a time when your son or your daughter or granddaughter or grandson, niece, nephew, whatever it might be, is going to come to a place where they are going to have to make that decision for themselves. They are going to have to press into God for themselves. And for some of us in the room, it might be that our kids are in our 20s and we're still waiting for that. It is up to God. And all we can do and be encouraged in this is to just allow that environment that we hope the Holy Spirit will set fire to. Sky Forks night this week. In, uh, in Britain is the one thing that I really, really miss about being in Britain at this time of the year is when we get to set stuff on fire. Uh, fire to their yard. And, um, and so we, uh, we did it one year with, with John, actually. We had a bonfire up in your, your place with young adults a few years ago. It was great. We should do that again. Um, and so you, 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 you build a bonfire, fireworks, because you can just go to any corner store pretty much and buy fireworks in Britain. We're very liberated like that or mad, whatever. Uh, so you have kids running around streets shooting fireworks at one another and the doctors in the room will understand, especially if you've ever been a doctor in Britain, um, that always ends badly. Um, and so it's, it's a great celebration and you've got to build the fire well, especially a big fire, because they're not necessarily easy to light when they're in your damp conditions in Britain. And so when I was about 13, I went with my mum and dad to the church bonfire night. And it was actually, ironically, at a doctor's house. And I hope that he hears this. Um, and a lovely, lovely man. And he'd built this big, big bonfire. And, uh, and my, my, my dad, like I was still 13, still pretty young, pretty naive. And so we were enjoying the night. You have sticky toffee apples and Dunkin' uh, apples and lots of apple stuff, actually, thinking about it. And uh, fireworks, it's great. And then the doctor, Stuart, his name was, um, uh, decided it was time to light the fire, but he couldn't light it. Couldn't get this thing going. It was enormous. I remember, I don't know how big dad, it just seemed enormous, this thing. Typical Stuart Anderson, let's go big or go home. And so he had this big bonfire. And then I suddenly became aware that my dad literally grabbed me. Not one of those, come on, son. It was like a scruff of the neck grab saying, come over here. And he dragged me a long way from the fire. I'm like, the fire's over there. He said, no, you're staying here. Because what I didn't realize was that Stuart was busy throwing petrol on the fire to light that thing. And so my dad had seen this. I love the fact that he just let him carry on. <laughs> it's his bonfire. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Um, and then lit the fire and boom, it just... Because it follows fumes, right? Gas, wherever it goes, it'll follow you. And it was, that's the one bonfire night I have vivid memories of. It was wonderful. You need to light the fire well. You need to build it well. Parents, that is our responsibility. Build the fire well. 
end of responsibility. Remember last week when I said about the table and building Jesus, the gospel, into the center of our lives called the table? Do that. Do that. Do that well. Be committed to that. Be unapologetic about it. And sometimes it will be difficult and it will be challenging to make sure that the setting is always gospel-centered. And then you leave the Holy Spirit to the rest. Take that as an encouragement. But for those of you who are desperately trying to control your kids into the kingdom of God, the I'm good enough ticket is not going to do it. Paul spends a lot of time in the scriptures saying, look, you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were born into sin. You were born into disobedience. Look, sons of disobedience at the end there. There is only one way. There's only one way. And we're going to come to that in a second. And it's not by birth. Number two, the I've done enough ticket. So I'm good enough. I've done enough. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through, Jesus, uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. And so you've got a group of people here saying, look, we were born better. Better than the Gentiles. We were born better than them. We do better than them. And that's going to justify us. But Paul goes, no, you're not justified by your works. You, you don't do, you've not done enough. You've not done enough. There is only one way. And the scripture is really clear about it. There's only one way to please God. There's only one way to get close to God. And that is through faith. Through faith. And that's the truth. Our external and internal morality is not enough. Because it begs a big question. If you are good, and I've said this before. If you are good and you think yourself good enough. Compared to whom? Compared to whom? Because you notice how the Jews were comparing themselves to the Gentiles? Who are you comparing yourself to? Who am I comparing myself to? To deem myself worthy to have the righteous ticket to get into the presence of God. The only thing that we're doing is comparing ourselves to one another. And what that results in is is self-righteousness and pride if we're getting things right and shame and guilt if we're constantly failing doesn't work. It doesn't work practically, logically, lifestyle-wise. It's miserable. So who are we comparing ourselves to? Because we have to make sure that we compare ourselves to God and His perfection. Good compared to whom? We need the truth. So I'm going to give us a little bit of truth for a second, and and it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. The Bible is really clear about who I am when I am born and who I continue to be until I become a Christian, until I submit my life to Jesus and he becomes Lord of my life. In Isaiah it says, We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. That's a really pleasant way of describing something really, really disgusting that I don't particularly want to say. That God looks at our righteous deeds, our goodness, and he says, In comparison to my holiness, they are literally filth. Of the highest order. So when you come and you say, hey, hey, hey God, <laughs> I got my ticket. And God is not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He's going to go, I didn't know you. Because your very best day is nowhere near. You're not even in the same universe as the perfection and the holiness that my justification requires. Your own righteousness is never going to be enough. 
And parents, those of us who've been Christians a long time, friends, brothers, sisters, this is the message of the gospel. This is the most loving thing we can communicate is you're not good enough. Wow, even saying that publicly in our culture sounds bizarre. You're not good enough. Everything I read tells me that I am. You're not. You may be good enough for life, but life in comparison to eternity? And good compared to whom? The truth is that we're not good enough. Paul looks at his own resume and he says this, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Okay, again, this is a really, really nice way of saying something not so pleasant. He's not being... um, He's not being offensive. He's using a word that in certain parts of the prairies would probably be appropriate to say to one another, but isn't appropriate on the West Coast. Now, I know your minds are going. You're thinking there's lots of things they say on the prairies that are probably not appropriate on the West Coast. But it, it, means, it, it means dung. It means excrement. He says, I take everything that I'm good at and I compare it to the worth of knowing Jesus And it's dung, it's excrement, it's filth in comparison to knowing. So when we gather it, excuse me for the picture, gather it together and go, here we go, God. Like Paul is saying, no, all of it is loss. I don't look at my... Now, Paul had birth. He came from a great family. He had education. He had success. He had popularity. He, he, had, he was heading to be the top of his career as a church leader. He had everything. And he says, you package all that up. It is filth compared to knowing Jesus. Don't point to it and say, it's going to be enough. Because the same God that we look to as wanting a relationship with... The same God says, this is how, and it's not by this. Which, by the way, is why the cross is so shameful. It's gloriously shameful. In Hebrews, it talks about Jesus facing the shame of the cross. Everything that happened to Jesus before and during and after his death was as a direct result of trying to show us how disgusting our best efforts are in comparison to God. That our sin and shame is thick and it will keep you from God. And it will keep your children from God and your loved ones from God. And that is the most loving thing I can say. But there's good news, friends. But the good news is not found in you. The good news is found in the cross. Because Jesus Christ, who was perfect, came and lived a sinless life and in his divinity went to the cross and our sin and shame was placed upon him, died with him, and then he imputes righteousness, the ticket, onto my life and I am not worthy of it. But it's because he loved me. That's the gospel. That's what Paul is railing for here. Everything else is filth in comparison to that truth. My past, present, future sins covered. That my sin and shame that I tend to build up when I try and compare myself to the goodness of others, that's gone. I am now worthy. I'm validated. I can be in his presence now and I can be in his presence for eternity. That's the ticket, not my own goodness, not my kids' goodness. 
Not my wife's goodness. Not my popularity, my possessions, my success in life. None of that. It's all filth in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he brings. There was one other ticket he points out. And this one, this one's a tough one, Christian friends. So I've done enough. I'm good enough. I believe enough. Look what he says. See, we're not justified by works, by our own good deeds, but through faith in Christ Jesus, so that we also have believed in Christ Jesus, justified by faith in Christ Jesus, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, now this is starting to make a little bit more sense. But what he's saying here is your good works and your birth is not good enough. Only Jesus can justify you. So the question that I have to ask is who do you trust? Not who do you believe, but who do you trust? What righteousness are you trusting? What ticket are you trusting? And I use the word trust very specifically because lots of people believe. But this word belief is is just an inkling of the life that Paul is referring to. And we can read about it in John 20 verse 31. But these are written, the Gospels, so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Christ. Okay, so we have a culture that wants to believe in Jesus. They want this to be true. They want there to be eternity. They want there to be a God. Because if they don't, they don't actually want something that's good. So they want this, and yes, I believe in God, and maybe Christian friends, you've got kids who are in this place. Well, I believe in God, and that's wonderful. Build the fire. Wonderful. Build the fire. Have faith. Just leave them with God. But those of you in the room who go, I believe in God, I want to be lovingly telling you it's not enough to believe in God. You need to have life in his name. You need to trust. Belief isn't enough to justify. Trust is vital. Some of you believe, and I praise God for that, and that is the doorway into trust and faith. But in order to believe, you need to come to face-to-face with the reality of who you are. And when you come to face-to-face with the reality of who we are and what we've done, then we also come face-to-face with the, with the joy and the gift called Jesus on the cross, his righteousness given to me that I may have life in his name by my submission to him. That I can let go of trying to be validated by what I do and who I am and my successes. I can let go of all that because the validation, the ticket, the righteousness comes from him and then my life shows that. Christian friends, it should be easy for us, for others to see who you have placed your trust in. Not just who you believe, but who your life is focused on. See, we don't just start by believing and then move on. We believe every day. We trust every day. We lay it all out before him every day. We, we lay out our kids. We lay out our possessions. We lay out everything that we have, everything we do. And we say, Jesus, I recognize that these things have been given to me so that I can make much of you. Because Jesus, you are my righteousness. You are my right standing. I want to finish by encouraging us as we move towards communion. There's this amazing story in the Old Testament and it's nestled right in the middle of the plagues. You've got this amazing picture of Moses in front of Pharaoh and, and, and it's just after the plague of frogs. 
And, this, and you read the scriptures, I love it. It says there's frogs everywhere. There's frogs in the bedpans, in the ovens, and they're kneading. Actually says they're making bread, kneading frogs into the bread because there's just so many of them. Picking up a toothbrush, frog, you know, everywhere. Everywhere. You can't step anywhere. It's disgusting. The pharaoh is pulling his hair out. Or oh, he might have been bald, but he's going mad. He's like, just deal with the frogs. Get rid of the frogs. And so Moses says this to Pharaoh. I will give you the privilege of deciding when you want rid of the frogs. And what was Pharaoh's answer? Tomorrow. What? Tomorrow? What? There's frogs everywhere. Your life is filled with frogs. They're all croaking. They're causing misery and despair and shame. And they're everywhere. And... You get to decide when you bow the knee to God and submit to Jesus and you want to do it tomorrow? Like what are we relying on? What are we trusting on that will truly you truly believe is going to be enough? Tomorrow? Young people, today is the day of salvation. Christian friends, today is the day of salvation. Those sins, that cycle of sin you found yourself in, today is the day of forgiveness, not tomorrow. And when we come to the table and we take a piece of bread and we dip it into the wine, signifying the death and life of Jesus and his righteousness imputed on us, it's today that we can enjoy his kingdom. Why would we put that off for tomorrow? For those of you who are just like, meh, meh maybe tomorrow. I've been around long enough, almost 47 years, to know that genuinely sometimes tomorrow doesn't come. It doesn't. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we can receive his righteousness. Today is the day that we can be justified by God. Today is the day in Christ Jesus we may have life in his name. And that's everything. That is the hope for this city. That's why we declare him as King Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I I get to this point and I always have this sense of not having done justice to your message, to this truth. But Lord, I'm thankful that all I can do is build a fire. And Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would draw people to yourself in these moments. That Lord, that there would be confession. That Lord, there would be recognition that we need you as Lord of our lives. For those Lord who are convinced that they have the right ticket. Lord, I pray that you would show them, even in this song and our time together in communion, that, Lord, that it is not enough, that, Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, thank you for your gift of your life. Thank you for dying on the cross, taking my sin and shame, and it dying with you, and I'm forgiven. Lord, I pray that that truth will resonate in our spirits and hearts this morning. And, Lord, I pray that we would walk home in it, drive home in it, live our lives through it. Jesus, you are Lord of our lives. Holy Spirit, 
I do not need to say you are welcome here because you are here. You're everywhere all at the same time. But Lord, I pray as we've read and heard of in history, there are times when you come especially close. Lord, I pray that in these moments, that will be our story. Praise your name, Lord Jesus. Just keep your eyes closed for a second. This gospel message grows in our lives the more that we fix our attention to it. So Christian friends, fix your attention upon Jesus. Read about him. Read his word. Pray to him. Listen to him. Sing about him. Share about him. Place him in the center of the table called your life. And you will find that he will grow more and more close. You will grow closer and closer to him. And for those of you who are not Jesus followers, maybe some of you have just convinced yourself that you're done enough or you're good enough or you've been enough or... not enough only Jesus bowing your head asking for forgiveness declaring him as Lord is enough and he will impute his righteousness on you and you are welcome hallelujah hallelujah let's stand together and sing